0: Amen. Tonight, this morning's message is titled, Pardoned to Pursue. Let's pray. Father God, we prepare our hearts in the next few moments for your word, that you would illuminate our hearts, God, that you would shine your light on us, God, that we could see that we have all fallen short, but God, you are so rich in mercy. So rich in love, and God, and even though the devil wants to put shame and regret and different things in our life, and though we may fail and fail again, God, you amaze us by your love. You amaze us by the story of the cross, God. And we pray today that if there's anything in our hearts, God, that needs to be exposed by your light, that we would willingly run to you today, God, and say, Father, I'm willing. I want to be set free. I'm tired of where I've been, but God, I want to pursue you. And your Holy Spirit. How many people want to pursue the Holy Spirit? Somebody say amen. 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 A young man sat before the bench. His head was held low and his crime was serious. And all who knew him had been shocked by what he had done. The judge entered the courtroom. The order was called and those that were present rose. And the judge repeated the charges. He reiterated the finding of Guilty. The young man winced as each charge was repeated. How would he ever be able to face his family? He lifted his head towards the bench as the judge finished, Son, you have been found guilty. And he paused. Would the judge be lenient? Would he receive prison time? The judge brought his eyes directly upon him as he began the sentence, and you have affected the lives of everyone who loves you. And the law is specific in demonstrating the seriousness Of your offenses. The penalty is not lenient. However, I believe you're sorry and sincere for what you've done. You've shown great remorse in this trial, and I believe you will not continue in this behavior. Therefore, I therefore sentence you to one year probation and 200 hours of community service. The young man suddenly felt a warm relief from his head to his toes. And in that moment, the judge took a stern look. He began to write on a piece of paper. And he put that piece of paper in an envelope. And he said, son, come here. Now he approached, would there be additional punishment? What is, this, what is he saying? What is he writing on the paper? And the judge folded it, put it in an envelope. He said, son, in this envelope are the penalties that I could have brought up on you today. Read them. And remember, if you discard my mercy today, I'll be forced to do exactly what's written on this piece of paper. It's your job. To make sure mercy will not be transformed into anger. You've received mercy, but it rests on top of wrath. We're gonna talk today that we've all committed a capital crime against God Himself, worthy of eternal punishment, every single one of us. But God, in His rich mercy, has pardoned our sin through the cross of Christ. There is no condemnation any longer. For those of us who desire to walk in darkness, but in the light of God. Somebody said amen. 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 If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 8. I'm going to say something real quick. Because we're going to watch a video about John chapter 8. But there's a capital punishment, and the Jewish capital punishment was stoning. Anybody know what stoning is? <laughs> stoning. Not what some people think stoned is, but stoning. All right? Stoning was the Jewish death penalty, and if convicted... Two eyewitnesses had to see you do it. And what they would do is after the elders convicted you, they would take you outside the city gates, they would strip you, and the first two witnesses had to be the ones to throw the first two stones. And if you did not die after they had thrown a stone at your head, the other villagers and the people, a part of it, would take a stone and finish the job for you, and they would leave your body out on the street outside the city gates until sunset. What a way to go. Most of the offenses for such a punishment, as is, is vile as this, is what we would say inhumane today, was against the sovereignty of God. It was the capital chief crimes. And they were blasphemy, worshiping other gods, seeking or being a psychic. But it was also allowed in the Bible for adultery and acts of immorality, sexual immorality, homosexuality, incest, and the like. And we're talking about adultery today. Marriage was central to God's plan, and God's law defined adultery as this. It was any sexual relation by a woman with any other person other than her husband, past, present, or future. And both the adulterous woman and the man were sentenced to death by stoning because they committed adultery, against the woman's husband. And there was no mercy and there was no second chances. And I'll just give you some history before we watch this clip. Deuteronomy 22, God's law declared that if a daughter was married to a man as a virgin, but he found she secretly lied and had relations before marriage, she was to be stoned. Very serious. God took it serious. If a woman, if a woman was engaged to a man, but broke the engagement by having relations with another man, they were both to be stoned. If a man was married and he found his wife with another Uh, man they were both to be stoned and if a man sinned though and had relations with a woman who was not engaged to be married but they had relations outside of marriage they were to be married and he was to do the honorable thing and save their lives from stoning and marry her without the possibility of divorce these were strict laws that God took seriously and laws that are still in fact and it defines sin today. God's law does not fade away. In Leviticus 20, verse 7, said, You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And God calls us to obedience. And we're going to talk about the new covenant here in a second. But God's law, for these in this Old Testament time, and they practiced these things, God's law called for strict obedience. It defined sin and there was no mercy against it. And his law still exists today. Still exists today. But one key in that Leviticus 20 that Israel missed out on. is it said, you shall do what I'm saying and you shall be holy. But he said, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who makes you holy. You know, Today, we're called to be holy and set apart from the custom and culture of this world. It is not God's way. This, this culture and customs of this world are not God's customs. But you know And obedience is required. But just like Israel, we cannot forget, and it is not our obedience that makes us holy. It is God himself. When we position ourselves in obedience, it is God himself who makes us holy. You're not holy by your obedience. You're not holy because you do everything right. God is holy and it is God alone who makes you holy. Watch this in John chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. You heard the law against her, that any relations outside of marriage was worthy of, of stoning. But Jesus knew that it is God alone that makes us holy. He added after saying this in John 8 verse 12, Jesus then said unto them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This woman had been walking in darkness in her life, and we do not know her story. Actually, there's more questions than answers. Where was the man? Because the law said the man should be stoned. We don't know how the Pharisees, all of a sudden wanting to trap Jesus, were able to find this woman who had committed adultery. Some people think that it was a, that they trapped her in it. Some other people think that they were biased, and, and they didn't care about the man, and they wanted to just form the law to meet their own standards. We don't know. But we do know this, that... Legalism is impersonal, that she had no value in their eyes and her story did not matter. We know that legalism and strict law following can be, through the human standard, selective. They condemned her, but where was her partner? They had selected her. They uh, looked to her sin, but were they so innocent of sin? And legalism is focused only on punishment. They were motivated by vengeance and not righteousness. And Jesus comes in and says I do not condemn you go and sin no more I am the light of the world he called her not to walk in darkness of her ways anymore but to know that God saves her and has set her on a path moving forward amen the adultery of the heart is really what Jesus begins to speak about and he had already said it in Matthew chapter 5 verse 28 that he loved marriage and he hated adultery. But adultery here is a matter of the heart. He said to the crowds earlier, he said that anyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. And basically, he says that if we've committed adul- adultery, or if we've lusted in our hearts, we commit adultery. If I hate someone, then I murder them. If I do these things with my heart, it's really starting there. And no one is innocent in their heart. Jesus takes the strict standard of the law, the things that man wanted to set in place, and it's the very word of God. But what he does is not make it more lenient. He actually makes it harder. You see, he makes it harder that no man is ever going to be holy. Every single man cannot be obedient even to the easiest law of God, that everyone has fallen short. And we read that in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he called for two witnesses here in this story to be without sin. None. Even the oldest people knew that in their life they had committed sin From the heart that there's every single one of us that sin is sin and sin, the result of sin is death. And it is separation from God. It is to go one sin in my life sentences me to life everlasting without God. It sentences me to a dark burning place for eternity that i will be there alone and isolated in weeping and agony and there is no hope either before me or behind me because of one sin the world looks so easily against sin it just just blindly does it and it just so easily propagands it uh just puts it out there in the world today you watch tv from anything and uh we just see sin blatantly put out there but one sin I mean, we go so, the world is so light on sin, but one sin in your heart separates you from God for eternity. God is not easy on sin. Not easy on sin. And this woman comes and Jesus understands this and he understands that we have all committed adultery against God. Adultery is the definition of of a relation outside of marriage, but it's adultery. When a woman uh, it was geared in the patriarchal system that it was written in the form of a man to a woman, right? But it was the sin was not that the woman committed adultery with another man, but the woman had committed adultery against her husband. It was something you do against someone, and sin is adultery against God. He's our our husband, if you will. He's we're the bride of Christ. We're His children. But he, it, Jesus is revealing that every one of us has committed adultery against God. Psalms 51 verse 4 says that when we sin, David understood that we sin against God. You think about your sin in that way. Do I think about my sin in that way? That when I sin, it is not just sin against my own body or sin against my brother or sister. It's actually sin against God. That God takes our sin personally. This is a very serious thing. Because a lot of times we do things and I do things and, and you do them and you don't think about the consequences. You don't think at all who you're hurting. Even in my heart, if I'm sinning with a prideful thought or lustful thought or, or, or a jealous thought, that I'm actually sinning and committing adultery against not myself, not my own future, but God in His holiness. I think about this today. If God takes our sin personally, how many stones... you and I deserve? That's what Jesus was illustrating. How many stones would it take for you and I to have atonement for our sin? How many sins have I committed not only just once, but repeated that sin over and over and over again? Can you imagine? Can't imagine. I can't imagine. But how many stones do we deserve? And that's what Jesus is coming here to say. Today, and said through this woman, and he says to her, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. What kind of a God, knowing what I deserve, and knowing many, that one every sin that I've committed deserved the death penalty. Every one, every thought, that was against God, every, every emotion that was not under the control of Him but under my flesh, every, every jealous thought, every lustful thought, every coveting thought, every prideful thought, everything. Man, I am so helpless. I am so weak. I have nothing. I can't do anything right. I can't control what I think. I can't control what I say sometimes. Man, I can't control how I feel. And everything, all my sin, Resulted in death. How many stones do you and I deserve today? But thank God in John chapter 3 verse 17. Jesus said for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world. But that the world might be saved through him. Man, what if Jesus would have come in judgment? Just think about it church. What if the son of God had come to give us stones, to bring... He could have, but God so loved the world that He sent His Son not to judge the world, but that He might save us. Amen. Man, that's shouting ground. That's, that's amazing love. That's, that's the, the love of God. The law could not save her, and it cannot save us. The law reveals our sin, and our sin is great. But Jesus comes with a greater way, and he saves us from the law of sin and death. But how are we saved today? How are we saved through because of the blood of Jesus? How are we saved today? We have to find out that we find our failure. This woman, the Bible says that uh, she was caught in adultery. In the very act, it says, she was exposed. I don't know how, how dressed she was. I don't know how they caught her or what the Pharisees did to do such a thing. But they caught her in adultery. And they already, we already know that they would, would take a person out of there and, and, and rough them up and throw them outside the city gates. But she was exposed. Not only was she uh, physically caught in the act, but she uh, was now ashamed the whole city would have known. The whole town would know. Her family would have been there. It would have been out in the open. That those things that we so much very like to hide—those secret sins, those secret thoughts, those secret desires, or even the things that we do in action secretly—to become exposed. And they were exposed. Total humiliation. I'm thinking about Adam and Eve in the garden. They were exposed in their nakedness. They realized that they had sinned and they were exposed in Genesis chapter three in their nakedness. And what did they do? They went and hid in shame. And the voice of God was crawling out to them, but they were hiding. I think it's the same way. We, we think that we have things under control and we think we know what we're doing and we try to take our own works and cover the sin. And Oh, if no one knows or if, if I hide this part of my life and, and we all have it and I am not up here preaching perfection that I am perfect. I am of anyone. I am uh, as bad or worse than anybody else in this room. But God has come and He is speaking and she's exposed and you and I have to understand that God is, In his voice, in his light, he exposes all things. We can try to cover it up all we want. We can sow some fig leaves on top of it. We can try to cover ourselves and hide from God, play like everything is okay. We think, we worry on the inside. We wonder, well, if they really knew who I was. You ever thought that before? If people only really knew, I think that a lot as a pastor, if people really only knew who Heath Harris really is without God, if they only knew what if someone discovers who I really am? And we don't like to think this, that God knows all and He sees all. He knows all and he sees all. I used to fear. Anybody ever have a pastor tell you when you were younger, if you grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church, uh, that God has his big TV up in heaven, and when you get there, he's going to watch every bad thing you did, and all of the angels are going to be so embarrassed. Well, that's not true, by the way. But God is speaking to us today. And he's saying that there is an adultery of the heart, but he sees all and knows all. And I want to say, there's a, a song called Casting, anybody like Casting Crowns in here? There's a song they wrote called Stained Glass Masquerade. And it talks about this. It says, if there any, is there anyone that fails? Is there, is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I take a look around, everybody sees so strong, and I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. I used to feel this way sometimes in church, but I knew I had secret sin in my life. I knew that I wasn't perfect going to church all the time. And you wonder, like, man, is anybody else like me? Is anybody else really messed up on the inside? Because we can come to church, and we can put on our, our, our smiling faces, and we can put on the right clothes, and we can wear the tie, and we can do all these things right. We can know the right words to say and know the right songs to sing, but on the inside, man, we all deserve death. We're so messed up. And Jesus is coming to offer a better way. God's not deceived even if we deceive ourselves. And I know we look to one another and we look up to pastors and we look up to sister and brother so and so, but we are all imperfect people. And I don't want anyone to The Holy Spirit me to can you explain why we're perfect? Yeah, I get there, Joe, thank you. God is not deceived even. When we, we think that we are, we, we're trying to find ourselves covering everything up. But God is speaking today, and he's talking to this, this lady, and he's speaking to her, I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. Even David said in Psalms 51, verse 3, he said, I know my sin, and it is ever before me. And sometimes sin and the devil is like that. It's like, man, it's over on top of you, and you feel like, Man, how can I change? How can I get out of this? How can I do anything to, to fix my life? And we find that we can't, the more I try to fix things, the more it just gets more complicated. The more things just begin to fall apart. And no doubt this lady, in the same way, I don't know what her situation was. I don't know where she was, but the Bible tells us that she was walking in darkness, And Jesus comes with his exposing light. Although the devil and shame and the people of the world tried to expose her in certain ways and and throw her out there and began to cast stones, and she was exposed and humiliated, and there was no hope, there was no life, and there was only death. But Jesus comes, and he's exposed her sin, but what does he say? I am not here to condemn you. I know you're not perfect. I know you've made mistakes. They've all, he, he, he says to all of the men in the crowd, who among you is perfect? Cast the first stone. Nobody, nobody. And so what does he mean when he says, I do not condemn you? He begins to call her out of darkness. John chapter three, verse 19. He says this, that this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light and their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, but he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest having been wrought in God. You know, shame and sin, it causes us to hide, but Jesus is drawing us out. He's calling us just like in the garden. He's like, I know you've made a mistake. I know you've, you've come under shame and I know that death awaits you, but I'm calling you you out. Will we be exposed today? One way or another, either now in this life with sin, shame, and regret, and the consequences of sin, or at the end time judgment, we'll be exposed in that way. God's going to expose our sin. Or, we can come to Jesus right now, today, in this world, in this time, that today is the day of salvation, be exposed in the light of God, with no condemnation. Man, what a trade-off. What a trade-off. That I can either be exposed in shame and guilt and death, or I can be exposed. Jesus says, I am the light. If you walk in me, you're not walking in darkness, but you walk in the truth of God. Man, if I let Jesus expose my heart, there's no condemnation. Let's look at these words, no condemnation. What does it mean? Man, it's so fearful. I remember uh, growing up, going to an altar calls. And how many people, let's be honest, were supposed to respond to an altar call when you were younger or, you know, and did not? Anybody? Am I the only, only imperfect person here? Okay, yeah, we've got hands everywhere. Man, why? It's fearful, right? Is it not fearful to feel like God's going to expose you? You ever like these pastors... Uh, you get in these uh, pastors are really anointed, and they. Uh, I've been to some of these churches where they, you feel like they're going to read your mail. Anybody know that phrase? Where God's going to call you out, and He's going to reveal everything you ever did in front of the whole audience, and you're sitting there in the back row, and you're like your hands are just grabbing the pew, and you're gritting your teeth, you're like, oh, don't call me, don't call me, don't call me, and then they do, right? Man, it's a fearful thing. We fear being exposed by God, and why is that? Because that's sin, that's shame, that's the devil. But Jesus says to this woman, being the perfect God, the only guy who could have thrown stones, he says, where are they, your accusers? Did no one condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. You know, her sins were real. They were due judgment. Jesus wasn't about breaking the law. He didn't deny or overlook her sins. So how did he pardon her? How did he do that? Romans 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you. Everybody say, freed. Man, you have been freed from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save you because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So what God did, what the law could not do, He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sin. And if that's not the simple, pure, unadulterated gospel message that we were guilty, imperfect in our sin, but what God did on the cross through Calvary, He says, you are no longer condemned. You're no longer guilty. He was pointing her in that moment What Jesus was doing, he was not being light on sin or giving a pass for her sin, but he was pointing her ahead to the cross. You see, the cross had not happened yet. And I believe in that moment, he was thinking ahead. That Woman, today you are going to die, but tomorrow I'll die for you. Can you imagine? He was looking ahead. He was pointing her to the cross that, man, that's what it's all about. He took her death On the cross. One author says this For Jesus to forgive the woman meant that he had to die on the cross for her sins. He was not easy on sin. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. She had two witnesses against her one was the law, she was guilty by the law, the second was the devil. He was the accuser. He, the Bible says he's the accuser of our brethren. Brethren, You and I today have two witnesses against us with stones in their hands. One is the law that says you have been guilty. Everything, every thought we've ever had that is sinful, that goes commits adultery against God, you are guilty. You're worth stoning. Now On the other side, the devil. Man, he loves to accuse. Man, he loves to put shame and regret. Man, he loves to twist the truth around. He says you're guilty. God, they're guilty, God. But Jesus comes in, no condemnation, because of the cross of Calvary. He takes her stones. In the Bible, a man man of God would come in the Old Testament and they would make a stone altar. And you'd see this throughout, you could go to Israel today and there's piles of stones and things like that. But they would take a stone altar. And an altar, it means a place of sacrifice. And they would build these stone altars, just piles of stones in glory to God about the remembering, remembering what God had done, and they would make a sacrifice on it. And that's why altar means place of sacrifice. And in my mind, praying over this message, what I feel today is God wants us to understand that He took the stones that were going to be thrown at her, and what He did, He made an altar. He made a place of sacrifice. He made a place of remembrance. And it wasn't a stone altar, but it was a wooden one. He made a place. Can you, every stone that was going to be thrown at her for her imperfection, for her for her adultery against God, every stone that was due to her, Jesus took those stones and in remembrance of him, He built an altar for her. And he said, God, this is my place of sacrifice. I do this in place of her. And though these stones were meant for her, God, take them and put them on me. I will pay the price. And for you and I today, there was stones meant for you. There was a death meant for you. There was punishment and shame and guilt meant for you. There was exposure that was going to lead you to death without God. And all those things were meant for you. But on the cross... Jesus said, God, this is my place of sacrifice. Make it their place of sacrifice, God. This is in remembrance. And we look today, is the cross that place for you? Is the cross a place of remembrance of the testimony of what God has done? Altars are a place of remembrance, of testimony for what God has done for you. And when you look at the cross, can you see all the sin that it took to build it? Can you see all the shame that Jesus took that was yours and he put it upon himself? Can you see all the sins that were to be thrown at you and sentenced you to eternity without God and see that Jesus makes a wonderful thing for us? He says, for you, I have no condemnation. I build an altar for you. I build a place of sacrifice for you. I build a testimony for you of God's wonderful grace. He was perfect, so you are not. Because we are not, he became perfection for us. He took our shame, our guilt, and we couldn't fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled it for us. You and I today have been pardoned to pursue something. Pardoned to pursue. Man, there is no condemnation. I don't know if you're here today and you feel so guilty. You feel dirty. You feel like you can't get away from your past. It just begins to just haunt you. And you come to church and you feel so ashamed God's built a cross for you. Jesus has made a sacrifice for you. And if you will just come to the cross, and once you give it, it's done. That's a beautiful thing about the cross. Whereas I continue to fall and fall and fall for one moment and for one time, for all time, Jesus' sacrifice covers all sin. He doesn't have to die over and over and over again. It was powerful enough. But you and I are pardoned to pursue. And he says, go and sin no more. Man, that's some hard words. I think about, I think myself, if I put myself in the lady's situation, man, if God is, I come to an altar, and God, forgive me, or you go in prayer, God, forgive me, and then you go out next week, what happens? Man, if that coworker just don't push all your buttons, or if that person just don't look at you the wrong, or if that child of yours just pushes you over, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, you just... Seems like, how do you go and sin no more? And I'm thinking, God, what, do you, will you do, what did you say to this woman? I understand the no condemnation, but God, you told her to go and sin no more. And I know my life, and chances are, I don't know if she ever committed adultery again. She almost died, and Father, I know that I was gonna lead my road, I was on the road to death, and you forgave me for my sins, but it seems like, God, I just keep forgetting. I'm just stupid or something, right? Anybody with me ever feel that way? You're just like, Why do I keep doing this? I think about her journey and he says, go. You and I have to be going somewhere. David fell into sin when he began stopping and he began looking around for something to do. We are bored. We look for things. And there's got to be a passionate pursuit of something greater. I do not believe that just simply wanting to obey the rules and go back to the law of here's the do's and here's the don'ts in my life. Now that I'm saved, all right, God... Go and sin no more. Okay, God, here's all the do's. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to do that. God, I should do this. I should come to church. I should pay my tithes. I shouldn't look on the computer. God, I shouldn't talk to her that way. I shouldn't be around them. God, I should do these and come to church and be in Sunday school. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. Because he says go. You see, you and I are on a journey to be more like Jesus Christ. And if I'm looking to the right and the left, God, how can I obey? God, how can I be obedient? Man, I'm doing nothing more than what the religious people were doing in the Old Testament. They were looking for the laws. They were looking for legalism to figure out how they could be perfect on their own. But see, the Bible says that God is the Lord who sanctifies us. He alone makes you holy. So when you come to God in salvation and you look to the cross and he sanctifies you and he has taken your sin, he has become perfection for you, he has taken your shame and he has glorified God and it's a testimony. I am to pursue Him. I'm to pursue Jesus Christ. I want to have a deeper relationship with Him. I want to pursue His Holy Spirit is what He's given me today and it's His Spirit is holy. It's a Holy Spirit. And if I leave that place, I say, God, I come to the altar. God, take my sin. He says, I don't condemn you. You've let me expose you and now I am a God of love and I don't condemn you. Now go though. See, he's not easy on sin. He doesn't say, all right, go, good luck. He says, go and sin no more. It's a challenge. It's a call. And if I'm not pursuing something greater, I believe the Lord has taught me in my life that there must be a per- passionate pursuit of something greater. I must trade my pursuit of sin for the pursuit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. I must be walking in Him, not looking about the rules, but it's about a relationship. And Jesus, where are you going? He says, go. Where am I going? Where are you going in your life? What are you pursuing? Because if there's a yearning, if there's a longing for more man, if it's not me uh, yearning and longing for him in prayer, if I'm not yearning and longing for the Bible and the word of God to be manifest in my life, what am I desiring? Because if I'm not desiring something greater in him, I'm going to find myself faltering again. That's where we come to the altar and we say, yes, Lord, I want your forgiveness. But he says, go, don't sin again. Don't fall into the things that I've saved you from again. Don't make a mockery of the cross. Be going somewhere in me. Pursue something greater. Man, I believe the church today has got to wake up and to begin pursuing the Holy Spirit like we've never pursued him before because this day is so evil. It is so out there. There are people with stones waiting to throw them at you and I. The devil is out there wanting you to fall back into things of the old life. And he wants to bring accusation against you. He wants you to slip up. And you better believe you can't get away from temptation today. You can't get away from sin today. This world is full of darkness. All you have to do is step out. God, i keep my eye. If I don't have my eye completely focused on where I'm going in pursuing Jesus Christ, you better believe I'm going to falter so quick today. Men, I'm going to tell you, you can't do it. Lust is out there turn the tv on for 5 minutes. Look at what people wear today. If you're not looking to Jesus, if you're not focusing on him, there will be idle time in my life. And there will be accusation, shame, or guilt waiting for me. Death knocks at our door. Sin crouches at our door waiting to master us. But he says, "I am the light. Walk in me." Look in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. Chapter 5 verse 8 reading in the New Living, and it says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines up on them. For the light makes everything visible. And this is why I said, why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. How should you walk? How should I walk? In the light of Jesus Christ. I want God to expose me. Man, it's painful. It's hard. It doesn't feel good, but every day, I want God to, because here's what happens. You and I will sin, we'll mess up, and you and I, we won't want to pray. Anybody been there before? You feel like, man, I'm not even, I just don't feel like praying right now. I'm not worthy to pray. I don't even want to read my Bible. I feel like I just messed up one too many times, God. I just had a bad moment. And that's not the moment you want to pray. That's the very moment you and I should be praying. Because we need to let God begin to expose the things in our hearts that are not like him and know that he's not condemning us. But if I don't let him expose me, there will be a day where condemnation can come. I can fall away from God because I'm so fearful of letting him really expose the deep things in my heart. But he says, let me expose those things. Let me shine my light on you because there's no condemnation in me. I love you. I came not to judge you, but to free you. Walk in me. Pursue something. Walk in the light. Walk in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Worship team, would you come? There is no condemnation for those of us who celebrate and remember the altar, the place of sacrifice in Jesus Christ. He has pardoned you that you might pursue him. What are you pursuing today? Are you walking in this life with shame and regret? Or are you walking in the full confidence of his love for you? There anything in our hearts that we need to be exposed and be sure? God has a better way. He has a place for you to go, He's got a journey for you. He's got a